Welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jana Hill. And this week, we zoom out so far, even a galaxy far, far away seems close by comparison. Excelsior. Welcome to our first book club about a book. Which I guess comics are books, but in this case, a prose book full of words and very few pictures. Yeah, I'm reckon- I don't think my copy had much in the way of pictures at all. Yeah. So, also known as a Brian Michael Bendis splash page. Oof, man. Just uh, two episodes in a row we're ragging on Bendis. He can yeah, take it. He's he doing fine. It. Yeah. And there is some Bendis mentioned in this book because we have read All the Marvels by Douglas Wolk wherein the writer, Douglas Wolk, read every single Marvel issue in order to create essentially a narrative of the Marvel Universe uh, in some way, shape, or form and kind of talk about it. It's a bit of... The book is less of a here's every issue in order and all of that and more, I guess, kind of like like a travelogue or like the construction of a narrative out of all of the issues... Uh, and whatnot. Now, the book was published in 2021. I should have confirmed that. It's on the dang copyright. It was 2021. Uh, and he had read every issue from 1961's Fantastic Four number one through 2017's Marvel Legacy number one. With some caveats. So I'm going to read through the caveats because they're very fun. They are fun. I like, we like rules on this show. We do. And he sets them out in the first chapter. He's like, well, here's what I did. And then I broke all my rules. Uh, but essentially, he read only Marvel-owned issues. So if Marvel owns the character, then he hands down read, the ca- read it. Um, so this doesn't include licensed characters or series like Conan or Star Wars, unless they explicitly cross over with mainline Marvel Universe characters like Rom and Godzilla back when both of those licenses were with Marvel. Transformers um, being a very interesting example, too. Yes. Uh, however, he did not include any series where Spider-Man uh, or any you know regular Marvel character could not show up in uh unless they had the benefit of time travel. (laughs) So this was him being like, I'm not reading any of the war comics or the romance comics from those early eras. Interestingly, he still has a chapter on the romance comics from Marvel. Well, yeah, you got to figure out, uh, reconcile Hellcat's existence, Patsy Walker. Yeah. Uh, He also ended up reading every Marvel comic published from 1960 to 1962, uh, which I think were mostly anthologies and like monster books and that kind of stuff. And he also read recent issues as they came out. Was, I've read some of the Jack Kirby monster stuff from that era uh-huh. that I've gotten I've gotten my hands on, and they're quite fun. They are quite fun. Uh, so all in all, he read around twenty seven thousand issues of comics, which so, is ludicrous to me. <laughs> So yeah, before anyone says anything else about this book, I just got to say that as like an undertaking and defeat, I think that's incredible. I guess I really think about um, like reading discipline, which is something that you have in great amounts, Elias. <laughs> um, but I struggle with sometimes and I know mm-hmm. people, I've got friends who struggle even more than me who used to like to read and now they, they can't focus on reading at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, there's various things we can blame for this, but I, I know a lot of ambitious comics fans who will, um, I had a roommate uh, years ago who uh, asked me for help getting started. He wanted to read every single X-Men comic and I was like, all right, so you're going to start uh, in 1975. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It says here on Wikipedia that X-Men starts in the 60s. And I was like, you don't want to read that. And he goes, no, no, I want to read all of X-Men. And I said, you're not going to, you got to start with the the stuff that's even like remotely good. If you start with the bad stuff, you're never going to get the momentum. And sure enough, he never made it out of the Silver Age. <laughs> um, so for somebody to say, I'm going to read 27,000 comics just for this. Uh, and if I miss any, then this project is meaningless. I need to hit them all. It is just like, like, like seriously blows me away. And I honestly... With my core respect, someone who's able to do that, I think that's like a great feat of athleticism or climbing a mountain. Just like salute to anyone who can uh, read 27,000 issues of Marvel Comics. 
without cheating. Yeah. And as he says, he's like, I did not read these in order. I, he was like, I would read some Iron Man, and then I'd pop over to this, and I'd pop over to this. And he's like, sometimes it was difficult, and other times it was very easy, um, which, was, which was interesting. Uh, so the first thing I kind of wanted to talk about with this book was, do we think it is accessible to non-Marvel fans? Because obviously, if you're a huge fan of Marvel Comics, getting to read a book all about Marvel Comics... That's an instant sell. But for uh, anyone who's not, is was it good? Did it do a good job of that? Um, Elias, I'm not going to be able to answer this question without first uh, mm-hmm. saying something larger to capture my feelings about this book. Okay. Which is, what the fuck was this book? This book was <laughs> so fucking weird. I, I So, I start... I, I, when I first heard about this book, All of the Marbles by Douglas Wolk, I was like... What the fuck is this book? And someone explained it to me, and from what I thought is, I thought it was going to be like a like an uh, a Marvels, like Kurt Busiek and uh, Alex Ross type thing. Me where, too. Like, where where there was like a reporter in the Marvel universe, kind of reporting on oh. what was going on, and you were going to see it from the perspective of like one person who's like telling the story within the world of Marvel. Oh, that is not what I was imagining, but I. Mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be like some sort of like fictional narrative through line and it would read somewhat like a novel. Um, gotcha. Then I found out he was reading all of these comics and I thought it was going to maybe have some like critical analysis. Like um, he was going to talk a little bit about how like the arc of Peter Parker's character has changed over the years. Um uh, with, like, a little bit of editorial aside, where he talked... And, you know, you, there's no way to talk about that without talking about, like, Steve Ditko loved Ayn Rand, and so early Peter Parker had a lot of that in him, and then later, how people grappled with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this book wasn't really that either. And I guess the best way I can think of to explain this book to somebody is, it's like... A ve- it's like that section of Wikipedia where it says fictional characters' biography... Yeah. Um, but given like a lot of room to breathe and uh, covering a lot of detail, but also like not a lot of detail. Yeah, it's very because it's you very can't short. you can't include everything. So like something that I was struck by when we read the earliest Amazing Spider-Man issues was um, the issue that introduces the the terrible Tinkerer is mostly about some green aliens who never get mentioned again. <laughs> Like, that's the real villain. The Tinker is kind of like a background thing. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you would put in Spider-Man's fictional character biography, but it's something that very much strikes you and informs Spider-Man and his world when you're reading those issues. Yes. And so that can't be conveyed. And so what it becomes is th- this book is mostly interesting in a way of, like, looking at the decisions that Mr. Douglas Wolk is making, of what to include in the narrative. Those green aliens whose name I forget, he's like, obviously, they only show up once. I don't have to mention them. Um, and so he's making a choice there. But because of that, Elias, I don't know if I think this would be good for non-Marvel fans, because I think it's better in comparison— or I only found it interesting in comparison to um, where I knew he was making those choices, and— criticizing those choices but i feel like if i didn't know the story at all this would not make me feel more confident to approach any Mm -hmm. comics hmm Hmm. i guess we have to do the experiment and invite you know recommend this book to a non-comics fan and then give them a new issue of spider-man or whatever and see if that does it yeah hmm the the reason why i'm 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 hesitating a little is because I th- I still think it was a good I still think it this would be a very good book for non-Marvel fans. I think it's accessible. I don't it's definitely I think, yeah. He Wook's a good writer. Um these like these Wikipedia style things are like very engagingly written, but I guess I would find it easier if I could do like a control F and find in page to look for a specific bit of trivia or um if it was uh if the ch- it was organized a little bit differently so I could like cross reference it because as it stands um yeah, I was just kind of like I really struggled to get through this thing. I found it boring to read myself. Interesting. Um, but I, I also, there were certain parts where I would, like, I was kind of like, well, how is he going to tell the story of Ghost Rider? That's a weird character who doesn't often intersect with other Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. 
And so, like, I really focused on the Ghost Rider stuff, and I thought his his telling was interesting. He, you know, includes a lot of stuff from the origins, and then he gets kind of lighter on some of the wackier stuff, and then he the Danny Ketch stuff or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and I that was mm-hmm. more interesting to me. But yeah, but like uh, the Fantastic Four one was like uh, was like a really boring telling of a very rambling story where a bunch of shit happens. Yeah, I I did feel that way with the Fantastic Four. I was like where is this going and it didn't necessarily resolve um for those who haven't read the book the it's divided up into i want to say about 20 chapters um i have the book right here so you may hear page turning 21 chapters uh and then an appendix uh and it's, it's structured as chapter interlude chapter interlude chapter interlude um, where each chapter is kind of focused on a character or a type uh, or like a book or something um, or like a corner of the Marvel Universe. Uh, and the interludes are, I guess, a little more broad uh, thematic. So, for example, one interlude is on presidents. Another is on monsters in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and then another one is just on, oh, where was it? The relationship between Lee, Kirby, and Ditko. That yeah, kind of stuff. and and that was like, um, I, that was the best stuff. I actually, his nonfiction stuff, especially the Lee, Kirby, Ditko section, um, was strong to read, and I would not hesitate to offer that up as like a really good uh, first impression on the complicated mm-hmm. relationship between those three creators. Yeah. So what I thought this book was going to be before I read it was I thought it was going to be essentially a synthesis of all 27,000 issues or so into one story, like you said, at like the Marvels. I didn't think it was going to be like fictionalized from the perspective of a reporter inside. I thought it was going to be, you know, from a reporter outside. You know, Douglas Wolk, he's talking about he's like, here's the story of the Marvel Universe as seen by my reading it's like the these are the long arcs of the these characters how they've changed over the years and kind of reconciling the sliding time scale a little bit it's like how are we reconciling these old stories with the new ones and creating these journeys for the characters um, and with different phases and i think he succeeds in doing that but i don't think he did it as comprehensively and as, you know, well-defined as maybe we would have liked. But I really enjoyed the book, and I I really... I loved, like, the Spider-Man chapter. The Spider-Man chapter was the one that made me think that maybe he was going to pull this off. Although even then I was kind of like, I don't know if I like this. Um, but... The Spider-Man chapter is coherent, but I also think that the reason for that is that Spider-Man is so much more of a soap opera than a lot of the other Marvel books. And so, like, um, his, you know, he's fallen into relationships and out of relationships and starting a new job and changing apartments and getting zapped to other planets, which interrupts... But that inter- that that becomes interesting to put that in order because, like, um, did Spider-Man become Captain Universe and fight the Juggernaut, like, uh, while he was working at the Daily Bugle or, or what? And that's all, like, kind of interesting to put in sequence. But then, like, with the Fantastic Four, I guess... I'm trying to think of, like, a middle... Like, all the Johnny, Alicia, uh, Ben love triangle stuff is kind of formless. It, like, it doesn't have a feeling of urgency or narrative. There's not, like, a before and after and cause and effect. It's just, like, this uh, thing that's happening for a little while, and then it's not. Yeah. Yeah, and the the way he kind of divides everything up is he's, he's essentially picking issues to illustrate his point, giving a small summary, and then moving on. Uh, instead of being super comprehensive, which is a little frustrating. You, you you want the comprehensiveness, but also the comprehensiveness would be a 20-volume encyclopedia. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the best version of this project looks like because it's such a crazy project. And that's why I'm like, well, maybe he did it as perfectly as it can be done, but like... Yeah, it just doesn't look like I, I would want it to be much longer or much briefer or much more coherent or much more sprawling. I just like I don't know what tweak would make this work better for me. Mm. Were there any moments in 
these in the in the chapters that you real you looked and you were like, it, it got your brain turning. Yeah, there was a couple of um, I, there was a couple of times I really like tuned back in because I was curious how he was gonna do them. Um, but one moment I thought he did really strongly was uh, the like uh, Spider Man No More story from early in Peter Parker's career. Mm-hmm. Like um, that that like uh, he, there was a bit of emotion in th- in that that I felt like was absent from a lot of it, which was very had like a very like removed sterile kind of telling. But that emotion also came back. I maybe woke just connects with him, or maybe it's because the character is so like sensual. But hmm. um, when he wrote about Silver Surfer, that really worked for me. Yeah, um, because they're such big, clear emotions. Um, and the Galactus story is definitely like um. A big moment in the plot, or the overall meta plot of the Marvel universe. So I, I like, I really scrutinized that to see uh, his style, and I, I that actually the the Galactus trilogy was not a uh, didn't didn't work for me so well. I'm yeah. trying to think what else. Um, I liked. I was curious about how he was going to handle talking about Punisher, and I thought he did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but then Thor like didn't make a lick of sense. Yeah, Thor was pretty, pretty empty. And again, that's another problem with the book that he up front basically talks about. He's like, I'm probably not going to talk about your faves. I'm probably not going to talk about all of your favorite storylines because that's not really the point of this. He's it's a pop academic book. It's trying to make an argument uh, by the end, uh, I believe. Yeah. And. Essentially, the issues are acting as evidence and less as stops on a journey, even though he is kind of, of working the two in. And for me, I think it worked, um, the the journey, the, the arcs that he's creating. But yeah, there's sometimes it just didn't really work, didn't super work. I still really loved the when, oh, where was it? Anytime he got to just like quote some Thor discussions, excellent. Always fun to see those kinds of uh, dialogue quirks reappear. Right. Well, because that's fun. that's interesting too, right? We're dealing with prose, so the characters with like really strong quirky prose voices that can come across without lettering or uh, speech bubbles or body language. Um, is going to leave, like, a big impression because it's mm-hmm. so different than what's around it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, there's... I keep coming back to his early chapters, like, the first three chapters where he's kind of laying out his methodology and talking and, and giving personal anecdotes. And those those are the moments that, that keep sticking with me. It's, and... Uh, at one point, he kind of says how this isn't the top three hundred comics that you should read. It's less of it's less of that critical lens and more well because it is, it is still a critical lens, but it is not critique, if you know what I mean. It's more like an analytical lens, I guess you could call it. Yeah, he's yeah. Looking, he's like looking for like patterns, patterns and 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 changes and. And whatnot. Here, here's what I think about with this sort of project, Elias. When I think mm-hmm. about like how can uh, you're a new Marvel reader, but there's 80 years of comics. How can you possibly catch up? And I think about Jason Aaron's Thor, a comic I know is near and dear to your heart, right? Mm-hmm. Now, before Jason Aaron's Thor, you'd probably uh, if any, and if you were like a completionist who wanted to read stuff, you'd probably want to read some of the early Lee and and Kirby Thor stuff. But even then, like probably not. And there's like all sorts of people who you know, there's all sorts of stories in the middle that people love, but the Simons and Thor really informs the Jason Aaron one, and there's lots of references to it. Yeah. And the uh, Straczynski Thor from uh, 2006. Oh yeah, that um, plays a huge d- part. Plays a huge part. So let's say I recommended those two. I say read the entire Simonson run, which is huge and a big reading undertaking, and then the whole Straczynski oh, yeah. run, which is medium size. I have a pretty big, heavy uh, hardcover of the whole thing mm-hmm. I'm looking at right now, um, and then. And then you read the Aaron Thor. But then you get later and you get up to uh, Mangog. Is that what the guy's name is? Yeah. The the big antagonist uh, right at the end of the Mighty Thor 
the Aaron Mighty Thor. Right. So at the end of the Aaron run, Mangog ends up being like this huge final boss threat. And if you're like me and you've been reading a lot of Thor, all those runs I just mentioned, um, you're, and you're just like, well, who the fuck is Mangog? So you go on Wikipedia and you see that Mangog first appeared in Thor number 154 in July of 1968. And you can read uh, the Wikipedia summary of that particular issue if you so care to. Mm-hmm. Um, but Aaron knows that most people who are reading his comic haven't read Thor number 154. And... So he's got to sell you on what Mangog means to his story right now, assuming nothing. And if you're a really good comic writer doing working in the superhero space, doing Marvel stuff, that's such an important writing skill is um, establishing what this character with a history and what this history means for this story and doing it within the story. And so, but the, but that all that being said, with before the Jason Aaron run, no one would include Mangog in their summary of everything Thor ever did. They would just skip it. It's like a no, nothing issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the fun is when writers are writing a character, maybe they'll dig up something that nobody ever wanted to focus on, and then like tell that story in a different way or make something that was completely not worth reading somewhat redeemable. And that like alchemy is the fun of this whole collaborative writing medium to me. And that's why a book being like, we're going to briefly tell you everything, can't tell you everything because no version of that book includes Mangog. That's true. That's true. You know, I'm using Mangog as an example. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of the, of those, like essentially the kinds of characters that Grant Morrison are like, you, you're going to be my big villain now. Yeah. Or even like, I never did boomerang ever show up in the Spider-Man chapters. I don't recall that he did. No, no, he didn't. Yeah. And Boomerang's not, like, a big Spider-Man villain, but I could point to a, a half-dozen Boomerang stories that are fun, and he was the star of one really great comic, <laughs> a Superior Foes. Yeah, and then he was a major part of Nick Spencer's Spider-Man run. Yeah, clearly a Spencer favorite, I guess. But just, like, as an example of, like, he's um, you, if you read a Spider-Man comic now and you've gone and armed with all of the Marvels, you're not going to be totally prepared because that's not how you you don't prepare for comics by knowing a lot you have to learn the skill of like the flexibility and to pick up what the writer is and the artist is handing to you as exposition um like and i think that that's like a more valuable skill that i would want a new marvel comics reader to be working on than like a prose book that gives you like a neat little trivia summary so you think this is you think non-Marvel fans could read this, but it would not necessarily, you know, inspire them to then seek out these stories. Yeah, like, um, even if you read this book and you had, like, some idea of, like, the deal with Ben Riley, and you went into reading Spider-Man Beyond, and you're like, all right, I get this. And, right, the conflict's clear. He's got, like, an identity crisis because he's been fucked with in all these crazy science ways. But, like... The Beyond Corporation and the next wave of it all is going to not, you're not going to be ready for. You're going to have to roll with the punches and be like, I guess this is a new weird thing or an old weird thing. Um, yeah. And I, I, I just, I, mm-hmm. I just don't think that, um, that knowing all the facts is as valuable as, um, as accepting that you can never know all the facts. That acceptance is... Mm-hmm. Every every devoted superhero fan I know um, accepts that they're never going to read it all unless they're Douglas Wolk, I guess. I guess. And he... I think he's well aware of that when writing the book. I never got the impression that the book was trying to arm people with all the knowledge they would need to then read comics. Or to read and be into Marvel Comics. It felt like taking cross-sections of the universe and saying, what does this look like as a whole? We're, 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 we're going full galaxy brain now. We're going to look at it from, from fifth dimensional interstellar space. Yeah. Instead of, well, it's 2022... I see all the comics kind of around me and I can see the spider tendrils from the stories that are influencing and being referenced in it. But then the rest is kind of this, this haze in the distance. Like he, I think he, he went and waded through that haze and tried to clear, clear it up and bring it in. But you know what? When we come back, we will talk about one chapter 
that I think did what we wanted it to do. We'll see you there. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, no bad to end video impressions, this is bad, what the f***? and an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and welcome back we are talking about all the marvels uh and the one chapter or one of the chapters that i kind of wanted us to focus on because it's both topical and because we uh well i I hinted that we'd talk about it when we were doing the howard the duck (laughs) review but it's specifically his deep dive into the cert, into the series Masters of Kung Fu, which is in chapter eight. And it's just such an interesting book. And I think he you can clearly see his love for the series while also wrestling with its many, many problems. I think that's what I, I maybe not an or example of what he does best in this book, but a really good example of how he can get you, how he can create a narrative throughout the whole thing by using future issues to kind of, you know, influence and think about past issues uh, in ways that would not have been apparent, you know, while reading them initially, while also kind of giving you enough of a, a, you know, external backstory uh, on the creators and and the historical factors on it to you know dive into all of these these issues I guess I wanted to know what you thought about the that chapter in, in particular um you know that that those things that you're saying were not striking me as much what I was reading it but I, I do see what you mean um I thought this chapter benefited from just being about a character who has fewer issues. Mm. Um, and and fewer voices also. Just at, having fewer series means that it's less about a bunch of people in conversation with each other and more about a couple people having a much easier to listen to conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we've talked about it on the show a lot, but the... Um, the backstory of all of the that you have to explain about uh, black exploitation and uh, the kung fu movie craze in America in the seventies and uh, Fu Manchu's legal status. <laughs> Just like there's so many crazy parts of how Marvel made those comics that um, recently resulted in Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because he's got to address all of those threads, um, yeah. I see. There is like a stro- there's a stronger element of critique because it's obvious what is right and wrong, or there's it's more obvious to discuss what is right and wrong about um, the uh, cultural appropriation going on in those kung fu comics than it is to talk about like what Todd McFarlane thinks about Ayn Rand when he's doing a Ditko thing. Yeah, for sure. Is my answer to your question is what did I think about uh, the success of that? The answer is I didn't think about it when I was reading it, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, um, this this chapter benefited the most from this approach. But ironically, I feel like um, if you're like a, a new reader to Marvel and you're like, all right, I want to read, um, I want to read all the Marvel stuff. Uh, I'm expecting Spider Man. I'm expecting Hulk. I'm expecting X Men. And then you're just like, let me give you this chapter on Shang Chi. So. Oh, it, so I think we were thinking about the book differently because clearly, clearly. Yeah. I, I know I had initially posed the question of, is this accessible to non-Marvel fans? That was on my mind when I was reading it. But I went, when I was reading this, I'm like, I don't know if it's necessarily, I, I, I was making a distinction while I was reading it that 
it is very accessible, but not necessarily a guidebook. Like, it is not, but it sounds like if, you wanted it to be more like a guidebook to the Marvel Universe for the, a re- for people who are reading it, who, are th- who would then go, these are stories I now want to read. The, the level of remove makes me think it was kind of trying to be a guidebook because, because it's so much of a summary and there's not a lot of uh, well-argued critique happening. The critique is very uh, superficial because of the amount of space it's given. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I feel like if it's doing what you're talking about, um, it would have been better served by not being a million miles in the air and being much closer to the ground, uh, getting in the heads of the characters a lot more and saying, uh, you know, um, saying what you think Spider-Man was thinking when he hung up the costume in issue 50. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of just like telling us that he did or whatever, yeah. or like a, and and that's also like um all of the chapters that I connected the most with and the stories that I thought he did the best are the ones with the largest emotions that uh, you could see from space, which is the Silver <laughs> Surfer a lot of the time. And Doom, Doom is another very emotional character. Punisher's grief at his family getting gunned down is so like elemental and primal. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's why, like, the more subtle emotions like um, Johnny Storm dating Alicia is not a very, um, like, big emotion. It's very, like, ah, I guess this is happening now. And so, and a lot of the X-Men stuff also, I think, had that tone. The X-Men stuff was the one that I knew the best, so I was most disappointed by, I guess. I was going to say, I, th- I I thought that would be the chapter that uh, that disappointed you the most. Like, interestingly, I was saddened by his... his m- mostly dismissive attitude towards the Straczynski era of Spider-Man. That saddened me. Yeah. I guess I didn't think about that, but um, that, that's like coming right for your very life. Yeah. But at, at the same time, I made it through that and I was like, oh man. But I, I still reached the end and I went, I get why he didn't it was a mix of his personal opinion of he didn't particularly like it and the story and the arguments he was making for that character in terms of, you know, the the arc and the circle of the Marvel Universe and of Marvel characters. It didn't fit it so well in and terms of in terms of needing to be highlighted. And that's why I feel like the book will most be enjoyed by like Marvel buffs is because um, you need to know about the Straczynski run to know that he's not focusing on the Straczynski run to, like, uh, question that choice and be like... Because, right, if you're just like, well, who the fuck is Spider-Man? You're not going to then say, like, wow, wasn't a lot of uh, talking about the Straczynski stuff? Or alternatively, like, wow, I sure don't feel prepared to go read a bunch of Morbius spider stories about him trying to devour the spider totem. <laughs> like, I... Right? Like, and... And so I feel like it would be really enjoyed by people who knew a lot about it already, but thus, why are you reading this? Why aren't you just reading more Spider-Man comics? Yeah. yeah. Is, is the the baffling thing. And that's kind of why, if you don't mind me um, shifting mm-hmm. gears a little bit. Go for it. Do you, What do you think would be, if you're just imagining something, a good structure, something you wish you could give somebody who's like... I've watched some of the movies. I know that that Batman is DC and Spider-Man is Marvel. What's next? What like what would you give them, or what do you wish you could give them? It's hard. That kind of recommend. There is no one resource that could do that. Simply because I, I, it's, it's too too broad. You know, each person's different. What are their tastes? What what would they find most? What would they grasp onto? It it varies by person, by year, by you know what's come since. Like if I know someone who really liked Hulk in the in in the Avengers movies, I couldn't give them Immortal Hulk as amazing as it is. It's just a completely different Hulk. I would probably have to give, like, the Peter David stuff. And I haven't read that. I'm just going by guessing. But even then. Um, It's clearly a Project Marvel's interested in. Like, recently they've been doing these grand design series, which have been kind of (laughs) inconsistent. Yeah. Or, um, like, Life Story. Life Story is a slightly another different thing. Um 
right? Because Life Story is just about like, what if the characters got old from the <laughs> after the sixties? It's it's kind of a synthesis of these things that were published in the nineties. What if they were the correct age and you know time had flowed in a different way based on these other events, that kind of stuff. Well, I have two big suggestions for the things that I think Marvel can could do mm-hmm. uh, to to better serve this need that I think we all agree. Um, there's like a we need more tools to help overcome this obstacle of people getting into these sprawling superhero universes. Yeah. Um, So my first suggestion is, um, do you remember, this was a little before your time, when they used to publish, like, X-Men Saga, Guardians of the Galaxy Saga, these saga issues? No. Um, I asked because I saw one of these when we were reading Guardians last year. Um, In one of my trades, they had reprinted the saga issue. And what it is, is it's a summary written, um, it's like a previously on with the thing you're about to read in mind, written by the editors usually. So they know some of the villains and the beats that are going to get hit, and, they, uh, and they'll and they give you a summary. If it's an... You know, it, it, I remember the X-Men saga right before Messiah Complex had a lot of Mr. Sinister business in it because it was... He was a big part of that. Huh. Um, and then they also... this is They have... Uh, it's just done in like a bulleted list format. There's like these quick paragraphs hitting you each of the bullet points with some images of some of the big moments in the panels. And the one for Guardians, it had Nova pulling out Annihilus's guts and yelling, this is for Nova Corps. Um, and then it also has like uh, power levels, data pages, just like the fun stuff that Hickman's putting right into the comics. Mm-hmm. What if the Marvel editors updated this once a year and they released it for a dollar alongside the floppies or something i would buy that for a dollar so you so you're thinking kind of a mix of dc's who's who and kind of primers for current storylines yeah especially if there's like a lot of different artifacts in it if it's like the summary is the main bulk of the page count but if you had like you have data pages maps and all this stuff people go always go crazy for that when there was issues of batman when i was a kid that had like a diagram of the bat cave people would fight over those that's true um but my other suggestion uh, much to the same point would be i don't understand why the Marvel Corporation, subsidiary of the Disney Corporation, has not released an app called The Complete Handbook to the Marvel Universe. (laughs) And they just do it. And the greatest thing to do, and this would be wild, is if they integrated that with their comic reader, and then you could just dynamically click on a character's name in the or, or even the panel, and it would just jump you to a handbook entry, which could get you to the other issues if you wanted to read it. Like, that would completely revolutionize how people read these superhero comics, and make them, and make this kind of big picture Douglas Wolk projects really interesting. Because if you only wanted to read stories about a foggy nelson and you were like then you could do something like let's look at the list of all the non-daredevil appearances of foggy nelson and you had like an app to help you you and me would go crazy for that shit so basically an official wiki that didn't stink um the wiki that exists is pretty good but i'm talking all right there in the same app you're reading the comics that gets you to their official wiki which gets you to more comics mm-hmm. and that's and, and the entire the wiki element of it becomes an in, integrated part of the reading process and like, like an what expectation DC infinite back when it was dc universe or whatever it was called was doing yeah, that was the best version of this I ever saw. Because in that one, you would watch... Uh, I watched the episode of the Justice League cartoon called Task Force X. And then in the credits, instead of giving me three episodes of uh, different shows or, to watch, it gave me three different Suicide Squad runs. And I could just click on that and just read the comics instead of watching another cartoon episode. And that was great. And yeah, I just like... They got more money than anyone would ever want, and I think this would, I really think this would be a valuable resource, and a lot of people could get more excited about this sort of thing. It needs to be like a tool. Mm. Yeah, it couldn't just be like a recommendation engine. It would need to be a tool. Yeah, Yeah, I think, I think that would be, I don't want to say the best way, but helpful to people yeah. it would be helpful to somebody it would be helpful and i think you would need varying levels of this cuz not everyone wants to to wade through 
50 years of, of whatever to catch up. You'd want like, here's an issue. Here are the important concepts. Want to read more? You can read more about each, but it's like, here's what's important for this issue to know. Um, if you're just jumping in now, I guess kind of like a recap page. Um, I mean, the, the recap pages help. And again, I think that the people who enjoy superhero comics have built a skill of understanding there's more that you'll never understand. And also, like, uh, the best superhero comics will play with that, right? Like, um, did you never read Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men? No. No, I haven't. For a bu- the early issues of that, uh, Dupe is the school secretary, and he works at the front desk. <laughs> and... And people are always saying things to dupe, implying that they just did something with him off page. And then it's like an issue 12 or something. You have to wait a little while. Is it just an all dupe issue uh, drawn by Mike Allred? <laughs> but most people, when they were picking up that book, had no idea who dupe was. He had only appeared in one ever series. He had never been referenced since. This was kind of his first appearance since Ecstatics. And, um, I, and then that issue like, sells you so hard on the idea that Dupe is the most powerful character in the Marvel Universe. He's saved the universe a zillion times behind the scenes and nobody ever thanks him. And that was, like, playing up the unknowability of superhero history. When you're just like, who the fuck is this green potato man? The answer is the most important person in the universe, you idiot. Hmm. And that's the joke. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's it's a complicated... It's complicated, and I don't know if I necessarily have any good thoughts on it. <laughs> I think about it a lot, but I, I never know. Because I tend to be like, well, how do you get new readers? Find a run that they would enjoy. And be like, here's a character you might like. Here's a book you might like. Right, and like you, like in your example before, if somebody said, I loved Hulk in the Avengers movies, you got anything like that, mm-hmm. technically Immortal Hulk's not an answer to that question, but if they say, I really like Hulk in the Avengers movies, is that what he's like in the comics? And I'd just be like, read this and you tell me what you think. I got a feeling that person will like Immortal Hulk, because it's great. Everyone likes Immortal Hulk. That's true. Except maybe non-horror fans. They, they might have a, if you're squeamish... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, within, uh... Yeah. Within certain parameters, within... I suppose. Yeah. But... All right. Before we get to, I guess, our final thoughts on the book, were there any specific chapters that you were like, this chapter, if you read one chapter in this book, I think you should. someone should read this? I mean, if uh, the answer to that is obvious, and it's the Spider-Man chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but that was I, I like the uh, the Lee Kirby Ditko interlude was really good. There was the later interview where the interlude where they talked about um, Linda Carter and like the TV scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I thought like the interludes I liked better than a lot of the summaries. But the Spider-Man summary is the one that if you're gonna like this book, you will definitely like the Spider-Man one, and then you can keep reading. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I think chapter, the first three chapters. Where you talk about his methodology. Yeah. I think the first three chapters are the best chapters. And I, in particular, chapter three, where he's just like frequently asked questions. I'm like, if you have never, if you do not like, not do not, but like, I have no idea what you're doing with superhero comics. I think reading chapter three would be perfect to hand to someone and be like, here's a good way of thinking about it about approaching the Marvel Universe. Because the rest of the book doesn't really reinforce that in the same way. Like, it's more of, you encounter this and you're like, here's a good way of of considering it. To to get really deep into superhero comics, I feel like your brain has to be broken in a different, one of a number of ways. (laughs) And so if you read these first three chapters, you're like, yeah, this guy is really speaking to me and my perspective, then just your brain is broken like Doug Wolk's. (laughs) And, and maybe you and me got a uh, different different uh, problems. <laughs> uh, maybe different damage. Clear. I mean, you're talking to the person who was like, "I want to read Constantine Hellblazer," so I started with the first trade re-release and went in order. 
Right, and I started with Dangerous Habits and then worked my way forward, then worked my way back, then tried to catch up because uh, it was the end of the final run. Uh, yeah, that's how I read it. And then I went back. <laughs> well, I guess we just think, think of the book very differently. So... Yeah, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's fun that we read a prose book. I hope we can read another prose book. You know what would be fun is we should try to track down on eBay, like, one of those weird Peter David or Dan Abnett written um, prose superhero novels from the 80s and 90s. I have one of those. I don't know if it's Peter David or or Dan Abnett, but I have, I think it's an X-Men book. Let's compare, because I bet we could find two, like, beat-up paperbacks on eBay, and we could do an episode on uh, on those, or, like, a grab bag of them. I think that could be fun. I like reading prose. We could do, do more of that. Yeah. Uh, so, before we, I guess, reach the end of the episode, I have two more two more questions for you. For uh, me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess for anyone, or if they've read the book, but what what do you think of his ultimate argument at the end? Like, the and the, specifically the story that he creates of the Marvel Universe. I guess he's trying to make like a, I'm trying, cause I didn't think of it as an argument. So I'm trying to frame it like that. He's making like a moral argument on like what the core value and theme is of this ongoing story. Right. Is that how you, and, um, which is all, you know, basically great power, great responsibility. And I don't think that that's a novel observation. Cause, um, but but it's like soulful at the end. It's clearly meaningful to him. And that's why I wanted at the beginning to acknowledge that I think of Douglas Walk as an accomplished athlete. And his conclusion at the end didn't change my way of thinking or reading these books or anything. But it was like when you see them put the belt on the wrestler or you pour the Gatorade on the coach, the marathon warner crosses the finish line and smiles and collapses. Like he was having a moment and I got to be part of his moment. And that was like... That was nice, but uh, he didn't. T- uh, but it, it was. It's only nice if you're invested in Douglas Wolk's story, and I guess I, I wasn't. Hmm. But you obviously saw things differently. So, what do you think of his uh, big conclusion? I th- I found it. Well, I found it compelling. I found it to be. I get one of the difficult things is that I think he makes a number of different arguments for the story too, in that every character kind of has its own, the sub ones that he highlights, especially have their own arcs of development and, and themes across the whole of the, the Marvel universe. Like the Marvel universe itself is, as you said, great power and great responsibility but within that, it's important to find the veins that, you know, talk about different things that are approaching subjects in novel ways. I'm just trying to find where, what I was looking for. Because, like, one of the, when he's talking about those romance comics and how important they were to... Like they were how they were like the number one best selling comics out there for the longest time, and then superheroes kind of overtook them, and so that they had to evolve. And that's the kind of argument that that was compelling to me was seeing him take this huge, long, uh, this this larger scope and apply it to eras, to books, to characters. And just say, here are the factors that got them to change, but also what that says about the characters themselves and the ways that they were asked to change and the books and the creators. And I I, I guess it's his conclusion in the story is as messy as the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I... Overall, Elias, this has been a really interesting exercise in two very different people reading the same thing and walking away with yeah. different feelings. But I, but as always, I appreciate a peek into your weird, weird brain. Yeah. I appreciated the appendix where he's just like, here are the different eras of the Marvel Universe and, you know, the gen- the general consensus on what what did they feel like when I was as I read them. I'm like, I like that kind of historiography. I like that, too. I gotta take a second look at that. I was so tired by the time I got on that, I don't think I gave it the <laughs> scrutiny it deserves. Yeah, he also put it as an appendix, so... 
Oh, well. Um, watching that's going to end up being uh, my my favorite part, but oh, well. <laughs> it happens. So that was all the Marvels. Uh, next, next time, or next book club, we are going to be taking a break from reading, and we are going to be watching something. Uh, no, it is not the Moon Knight TV show. No, it is not any of the movies either. It is the show that we, uh, well, I'll get into whether or not we think we, we have a, we want or need a second season, but it is Modoc, one of the survivors of the Hulu cull. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about Modoc. That is that I'm going to get behind the scenes and talk about TV production and there's some weird stuff going on. Oh yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, Modoc was a stop motion animated show that debuted last year, 2021. Uh, and it was on Hulu, 10 episodes, each episode's about a half hour because it's a comedy, uh, and yeah, we'll be talking about it. Modoc is a, if not the mascot of this podcast, uh, Tarleton is the guy we like to laugh at the best. I'm excited to, uh, to kick him while he's down. He's got a big head, he's gross. <laughs> yeah. Well, until then... Jaina, where can they find you on the larger interwebs? Folks can find me on uh, multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website where I mostly write about X-Men, but I also have been reviewing other comics too. Uh, soon we'll be talking about Attack on Titan again. That ought to be something that uh, will get people sending normal things to my inbox like it always does. <laughs> um, and uh, if you, you're one of those normal people who wants to tell me uh, how much you agree with my Attack on Titan thoughts and other things, you can find me on Twitter at rambling underscore moose. Uh, I also uh, occasionally write for other comic websites, some of which are pretty good themselves. Uh, you can find me on Comic Book Herald uh, of late. But Elias, uh, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Quetzalish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Um, it is a long story for how I got this name. Maybe I'll write a book about it. Say about 300-something pages? I think that, 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 that'll count. That'll, that'll capture hey, it. That sounds briefer than I thought, but uh, maybe <laughs> I'm getting out lucky. Maybe. I, I'm not George R. R. Martin. Uh, <laughs> and you, you can are. find me uh, also writing at multiversitycomics.com where Riverdale is either close to wrapping up or I've got another month. I, I genuinely have no idea how many episodes are in this season, and that's primarily what I'm going to be doing. And the final season of Babylon 5. Season the 5. final season for now until the new season comes out. Ah, but that's a different show. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you say so. It's going to be a Maybe different gonna... show. And not if it's starring Moira McTaggart, as I theorize it will. <laughs> until then, everyone, stay marvelous. Stay marvelous.